Welcome to episode five of It's a Dark Matter Thing. Yes. <laughs> I don't know why we're always singing. Why are we always singing? No. Something is singing. <laughs> we're halfway through season one. <laughs> halfway through and just going to let you all know that we will not be posting episodes over Christmas because like you all, we want a break. Yeah. <laughs> So, for today's episode, what are we doing, Caitlin? Drum rolling. <laughs> yes, we're talking about the life cycle of stars. Because they die. <laughs> we, we spoke about their deaths last week. But we're so. going to go into a bit more detail about what they become, how they become it, a bit more about their processes involved, and we're going to talk about this amazing thing called a... HR diagram. <laughs> We're singing again. Everyone is always like to me. No, it's like my partner will literally hang up on, on me on the phone uh, when I start singing because I, I sing all the time. <laughs> That's so rude. I know, I know. I think we both have beautiful voices. Think, yeah, we're going yeah. to go on the voice. <laughs> we should make a song all about space. Yeah, we'll, we'll make a song. I'll play yeah. piano. Yep, I'll play guitar. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Great. It should happen. Yeah. <laughs> we'll do it. Keep your eyes out for our message EP. us if we should. <laughs> message us. <laughs> HR diagrams, also known as Hertzspring Russell. Named Something after Hertzspring the man Russell. who figured it out. And it's the relationship between the luminosity and the colour magnitude of a star or the temperature. It changes mm. up. But they, they basically switch and change their yeah, minds up. Look, it's Obviously, temperature and luminosity are going to have a relationship, and the hotter something is, they're going to become more blue. So they're all intertwined in a sort a bit, of a relationship. You know, contrary to what you'd think, the hotter something is, it's blue. Usually, you associate blue with coldness, yeah, and red with hot. But you know, not in space. In space, and not they, with not with flames. Space decided to be different and be like, yeah. That's why I have blue eyes because it's hot. <laughs> Anyway, stop thinking about my eyes. Now let's think about the stars. <laughs> okay, so there's two different types of HR diagrams. There's the observational and the theoretical HR diagram. Yes, so the theoretical is basically says it for itself. It's where theoretically a star will lie on the diagram dependent on its temperature or where it's at in its life cycle. Mm-hmm. And obviously we're going to have to post a picture of this because it's much harder to explain the diagram itself without looking at it. <laughs> yes. So we're more going to talk about what the HR diagram shows us in terms of the star's life cycle. The first type of star that you really look for is called a main sequence star. And these stars are burning the most basic fuel they can in their core, and that is hydrogen. We loved hydrogen. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing again. And as we know from our episode last week, hydrogen was the first elements that collapsed into each other to create these amazing stars we see in our night sky. All stars will live their majority of their lifetime on that main sequence so they're just Mm. plodding along on that sort of like average line so our sun 
is a main sequence star. It's still burning its hydrogen fuel. And you can also get, so main sequence stars can also vary in size. And all this does is it will change the color. So obviously a big main sequence star will be blue and it will only live for a few million years. Whereas our star, the sun, will live for billions of years. Yeah. So basically, big stars die really quickly because they have massive volume causing bigger pressure, causing higher temperatures, causing the star to burn through its fuel a lot quicker. They're like in a hurry yeah. to get on with their life. They're like, I oh, yeah. don't want to stay in this main sequence with all you people. Yeah, no. Get no, out of my way. Yeah, I'm better than you all. I'm, I'm becoming hotter. a giant. Yeah, exactly. Because once you leave that main sequence, you expand. You expand. Big and, and you become... It's a bit like, you know, you're in high school and you're on that main sequence. And then you leave high school. Teenage stars. And you become bigger. And you become better. this bigger and better version of yourself. And then you die. <laughs> <laughs> you, no. drop, you drop back down to the bottom of the HR diagram. <laughs> yeah. So we should also mention... Um, Red dwarfs are a type of main sequence star. They're just smaller than our our sun. So yeah, so you have red dwarfs, which actually make up the majority of the stars in the universe. You have more red dwarfs than sun-like stars and even less big blue stars. <laughs> uh, and that is obviously due to it's easier to make a small star and collapse into a small star than it is to a big star. <laughs> yeah. So then we move off the main sequence. We've run our, our leg of the race. Mm. We're becoming old now. Yeah. Slowing and down. And what happens is these stars start to create shells and they stop burning in their core and they actually move out and start burning in their shells. And this process expands the star and it gets bigger and it moves away from being a main sequence star and it becomes a red giant or even a super giant yes mm. and our star will become a red giant one day yeah so then these big giant stars they're changing and they die they're just dropped in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so as they expand, they will, depending on the original mass of the star on its main sequence, it, it will go through fusing heavier elements in its shells and in its core. And like in our last episode, we talked a bit about uh, how stars make so many elements in our universe. <laughs> and it's really due to that fusing in those mm -hmm. and those larger stars are going to be fusing heavier elements because so you need energy you can't just fuse atoms together willy-nilly yes <laughs> you need energy so the bigger the star the more it's going to be able to fuse and then you go up from hydrogen to helium to beryllium lithium fusing elements all the way up to iron and if you want to know about those elements in between i posted a Post. <laughs> post, post. Put it on the post. <laughs> okay, if you want to know about those elements in between up to iron, go onto our It's Dark Matter page on Instagram. There's a post uh, that shows part of the periodic table. 
up to iron and all those elements that a star is able to fuse. <laughs> so how we were saying before on the main sequence you can get really large blue stars. Well when these expand into giants they just don't expand into giants they expand into super giants and they will end their life a little bit differently because they have so much mass so much energy that they cannot stay stable they are just like it wants to go boom it wants to go boom <laughs> yes yeah, so whereas after smaller stars like our sun and red dwarfs expand into a super giant they will actually just start pushing off all their gas and they will slowly but surely turn into a white dwarf now white dwarf pretty much says its name it's a small little white star and it is very very dense the same density of the star that was originally there but just very small <laughs> yeah they're little tiny babies yeah so they're not really babies because they're dead they're like grandpas <laughs> <laughs> what um, we flag that one? Flag yeah. that one. Don't really know. Mm. Oh, my mother's leaving. Mm. Um, she's <laughs> like little tiny babies. Little tiny babies. Grandpas. Grandpas. Okay. What is wrong with us? No, today? I don't know. My brain's dead. Okay. So yeah, so they turn into these white dwarfs, and once they turn into a white dwarf, they will slowly become very dark and just. You know, it's a slow process, but they lose their it light. Is, you know, the thing, along. the thing that makes them a star, their light, it disappears, just... and they just float around space as this dark ball of nothingness. Nothingness, well, it basically. Is, it is, it is something, but yeah. And if you think back to our dark matter episode, we did talk about how one of the theories for what dark matter is was that it was just a heap of these non-luminous stars. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, don't really know where I was going with that. Yeah, no, exactly right. But no, I didn't really ever, before studying astronomy, know much about the life cycle stars. Mm. Like, I've heard about white dwarfs and Yeah, all you that hear stuff. about all these different yeah. stars, but you don't understand how mm. they evolve into different things. Yeah. So within these white dwarfs, the... Um, they're dense. They're like, yeah. they're so dense because it's the original star's mass. Yeah. Just pushed into a little 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 star and this pressure that's stopping it from collapsing is called electron degeneracy pressure yes <laughs> it's okay. taken us five goes to say that <laughs> i cannot say it to save my life i just i cannot say it so i'm so proud of us so that pressure created from the electrons is actually a phenomenon of quantum physics and it's dun, very dun, strange <laughs> yeah yeah so it's you know electrons don't really want to be near each other they they repel they repel each other like when you bring the mm. two sides of a magnet together and yeah. they're like yeah bring me near you yeah so when these stars collapse into these white dwarfs that repelling of each other starts doing weird things on a quantum level so what ends up happening is this the quantum in the quantum level these electrons start doing weird behaviors where i think they sort of exist in the same space but they don't and it creates yeah. this really weird pressure uh, obviously it's a very f full-on concept to try and understand yeah. 
Uh, but that is what keeps white dwarfs alive for um, as long as they do because without it, they would just go kaboom. Yeah. Kaboom boom. Yeah. So that brings us to when massive stars go supernova. They also leave a star remnant behind as well as all their beautiful gas and dust. And this is called a neutron star. Woo! And a neutron star means that there was so much energy and pressure when the star went kaboom and collapsed in on itself that all the electrons and protons merged together to neutralise themselves and create neutrons. So this star's completely made of neutrons. It's just yeah. crazy. They just all come together and we're like, we mm. must be friends now. Yeah, gotta be friends, gotta be friends. So you've probably heard of pulsars. <laughs> and pulsars. Pulsars. And these pulsars are spinning neutron stars with a very strong magnetic field. And you can almost imagine astronomers to see these pulsars like a lighthouse, just mm. flashing. Yeah. Yeah, because these magnetic fields that are really strong just cause this pulsating sort of spinning notation. Light. Yeah. Beam, beacon. Beam, beacon thing. thing yeah. Thing. Yeah. So that sort of comes the, you know, full circle conclusion of the life cycle of stars. Because mm. then once they... Oh, well, black holes. We forgot, oh, yeah. we, we forgot about black holes. And then really, 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 really massive stars won't even make it to the supernova stage or even to the white dwarf stage. They will just completely... They become our favourite thing. Yeah. Black holes. Yes, they just absolutely bend space and time to the point of no return and collapse into a black hole. These mysterious, weird things in space that we're all obsessed with at the moment. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, that brings us sort of full circle back to the beginning of stars because obviously when they go supernova, they expel mm. out all that gas and dust and create new things. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's the... Where's our song gone? And the circle of life. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. And... So, Caitlin and I have decided to add in a new segment each week. Uh, Ooh. Yes. So fancy. Ooh, it's so fancy. Uh, we have been doing a bit of research and we've found that every week there are so many cool discoveries in science and it's discoveries that aren't even really put out there that much. Mm -hmm. So, we've decided that we're going to be doing a segment each week where we each pick a new discovery that we've found um we're not going to tell each other what it is so <laughs> it's going to be a bit interesting to let's hope we don't pick the same yeah, one yeah i was just going to say let's hope one week we don't come with the same one but yeah you know, yeah no, that would be okay. interesting but yeah so and then we're going to explain the discovery that's been made and have have a chat about it and hopefully get you guys excited about the discoveries that are happening every single yeah. day I found in my travels on the internet <laughs> an article about black holes. Convenient that we finished on black holes. Mm. Um, and a few weeks ago, one of the episodes, we talked about gravitational waves from merging black holes. So this study that I found is a new like proposal that the expansion of the universe actually directly impacts how black holes grow and mm. over time. Um, That's interesting. Yeah, so the article 
basically says that they've been analysing these gravitational waves that which we spoke about were the ripples in space-time uh, due to black hole mergers. And they've been looking at these and looking at how massive these black holes are. And sort of that what they've come to the conclusion is that these black holes are so massive that there's no way that, you know, so many black holes could have come together to make such a big black hole. Yeah. Um, so basically what they're saying is they're using a good friend Einstein's theory of general relativity and that as the universe is expanding and we've talked about that and accelerating um it's actually interfering with how um these black holes change Mm. and grow over time so saying that like that dark energy that's expanding the universe is also affecting the size of black holes yeah so stretchy black holes as well wow that's yeah. We know that dark energy affects areas in space that don't have much matter. But what about those areas that have a condensed amount of matter? Yeah. Can it yeah, really affect the other side of the scale? Um, yeah, so basically the article says that as the universe is growing and expanding, these massive black holes and the mass of these black holes also grew as they, you know, spiralled in towards each other. Um and this not only resulted, you know, as they merge, they get bigger, but, you know, there was lots of mergers um, and obviously resulting in really big holes. Uh, really big holes. <laughs> black. Um, really big black holes. So basically they're also using, like, this theory that um, as the universe continues to grow, light itself actually loses energy. So light is also impacted by this growing of the universe. So yeah, they've pretty much, it's not like they haven't got a definite, like, yes, Mm. this is what's happening, but it's just a new proposal of why there's so many of these massive black holes when it's not really possible for that many mergers Mm. to be occurring. Yeah, no, I haven't thought about that way because it is a very big question uh, where supermassive black holes have come from because they are much more massive than the mass. Yeah, Yeah. and the article also goes on to say that... I'm sorry, because I said much more massive than the mass, and that (laughs) makes no sense. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so this article also says, you know, why is it so important that we look at this different model? Um, And it pretty much says that it doesn't really change anything to do with our current understanding of stellar formation or evolutions or deaths of things in... um, the universe is just sort of putting some different things together in a different way of thinking it yeah and especially you know what's happening when dark energy is straight like what it does is stretches space time mm, yeah and i guess black holes sort of do the same thing yeah. they, they stretch that space time until no return so they could be yeah definitely work you know once like, you meet reach that no return does the dark energy then continue to stretch yeah stretch it and make it bigger what, and bigger yeah yeah so i thought that was something that was really interesting and even though it's not really a discovery it's a really interesting way of looking at something yeah. and no. you know that's love new sci- theories that's what especially. science is all about you know yeah coming up with different ways of thinking we did speak about this last week yeah um that it's important to have you know lots of different types of people working in STEM fields because, you know, you need that diversity of thinking. Mm, so, yeah, I just thought that was an interesting thing. Yeah, no, that's really cool. 
Uh, so my discovery I found, and none of you would really know this, but I am a massive rock nerd. I love <laughs> crystals. I love going out and fossicking. I, if someone says to me, hey, Taylor, let's go get some rocks, I would be like, okay, get in the car, let's go get some rocks. <laughs> yeah, I used to get bullied about it, but it's okay. So I found a really, really cool uh, new discovery that some astronomers have found and analysed some exoplanets around white dwarfs. And what they've found is that there are minerals and rocks in these planets that don't even exist in our solar system. Which to me, like, yeah, that, yeah. that's uh, <laughs> new types of rocks. Stop it. Stop it. Taylor's on the first rocket there. Let's go. Yeah, I want them. I want the rocks if they're, they're different. And I cannot pronounce the names of the rocks that they've given them. Obviously, it's the chemical composition. So I've got good old Google Translate <laughs> here <laughs> to tell you the names of these of these different minerals. Here we go. Quartz pyroxenites, quartz orthopyroxenites, <laughs> paraglase dunites, paraglase werlites, and paraglase clinopyroxenites. But yeah, so as you can see, they're very big words, and I don't, I don't bend well with big words. <laughs> I trip over my own tongue. Yes. So, and okay, I saw quartz there. And that gets me interested because any different types of quartz, I'm like, mmm. It's, it's also interesting <laughs> to think about how, you know, when these different, like, exoplanets are forming, it, mm. like, with us, the, the different materials that are interacting are creating these new things. Yeah, and so that was some of the, the questions that they've put forward. They said, okay, so how do these different mm. minerals affect the formation of planets? Yeah. And they looked at... Um, rocks that are easier to melt and easier to disintegrate in a way um and whereas there's there could be rocks out there that are much harder and does it affect the formation of tectonic plates on these planets yeah uh does it affect if water can be on there if there's going to be mountains you know because what we observe in our solar system is the planets and Asteroids were made from the remnants of our star's creation yeah. and uh, the gas and dust from our neighbourhood. So to think about uh, other um, star systems having these very different minerals, does it mean it's harder to create life? Does it mean it's yeah. easier to create life? You know, it's, it just shows how like unique we are here. Especially. Yeah, and like, the diversity, like the diversity around the galaxy, and not only that, they're going to use this research to try and uh, study and the probabilities of looking at, you know, what what are the elements they need to create Earth-like planets and analyze these areas and go, okay, in this part of the galaxy, there is more likely going to be Earth-like planets there. Mm. And sort of create a classification. Like, what do you class yeah. these planets that have all these different rocks that we don't even see here on Earth? Yeah. Yeah. It'd be interesting, you know, when you talk about alien worlds, they're very, yeah. very alien. You know, what do their crystals look like? Do they have <laughs> diamonds that are harder than our diamonds? Yeah, definitely. Know? Different colours. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I thought it was it was really cool. And some of the questions they've put, forth, um, put forward is really, really cool. Yeah, so um, they've talked about yeah, 
you know, rock types might melt much lower temperatures and create a even bigger crust than we see mm. here on Earth. Uh, and yeah, my and so if you didn't know, astrogeology is actually a really growing field, and like studying mm. the different rocks on yeah. different planets and stuff is becoming increasingly. Yeah, especially with this study to come forward and say, okay, well, there's not even rock compositions that we see here; they're completely alien. Yeah. And like, you know, you could probably now that we know what the composition of these rocks are, go make them in a lab and study how these form mm. and the ingredients to be able to form these through these need the volcanic activity. Like if there's lots of these, as you know, that quartz and harder crystals, like your garnets and your sapphires and stuff like that, I found more around volcanic areas because they had the pressure to and the temperatures to be created. So if you've got a planet with lots of quartz on it mm. and silicon then you can assume that there's a lot of volcanic activity and if there's a lot of volcanic activity does it mean that they do have those tectonic plates really yeah. moving that planet around or are yeah. these quartz forming like naturally like just not even yeah. with volcanoes yeah just differently mm. completely differently yeah and you know and the question of water you know, does mm, these rock formations make it harder for water to get on these planets or easier? Yeah, it's very interesting stuff. The for exciting the, thing yeah. about new discoveries and new research is that it brings so many new questions. Mm. So even in our solar system, tectonic plates on Earth are very unique in itself. They're, they haven't really seen any other planets having these tectonic plates moving and shaping the planet. And... You know, that's another question. Does a planet need those tectonic plates to sustain life mm. or can it just be still? I mean, over the years, obviously, yeah. we've seen tectonic plates completely change the shape of our countries and uh, the way things are formed. So Yeah, it's mm. really interesting. Yeah, well, definitely. Uh, will we move on to some questions then, I guess? Yeah. I told Casey we'd answer hers first. <laughs> on to the questions maybe I'll screenshot them this week oh your mum your mum asked a question mm. oh your yeah mom. about the okay so the first question we got this week was about stars how convenient we're doing a whole episode on stars um, and it says is the first star um, that shows and <laughs> So the first question we got this week is, is the first star that shows up at night the same one every night? And this is really interesting to think about because technically speaking without the sun, it would be because of the way the earth rotates in relation to everything else. And the fact that we're in the southern hemisphere, yes. if it's towards the like, south pole, then it most likely would be the same star because... Yeah. Yeah. But because the Earth's rotation isn't exactly 24 hours, it's like mm. 23 and 50-something yeah. uh, minutes, if you go out at the same time every night looking at that star, gradually over time, that Ooh. extra time is going to accumulate yeah. and that star is going to start appearing either uh, sooner when the sun's still out and you therefore you can't see it, or mm. later at night time. So because of that, 
if you're looking at it at the same time of the year, then yes, it would be. But at the same time every day, it's not going to be. Yeah, no, exactly. I think also Venus is one that is easily observed. Because I'm pretty sure it's sunset and sunrise. It's, it's, it's one first. of the first you see. And that's obviously because it's our sister planet and the sun yeah. is reflecting. And it's much brighter than the stars further away. Over an entire year of this accumulation of time as you know because of the rotation of the earth not being exactly 24 hours the entire year that equates to an entire day so that time so yeah so it's going to be off by sort of an entire day looking at it so over a month that star's going to appear either two hours earlier or two hours later yeah. And then over a year, it's going to appear. I must admit, when well, we did all the celestial sphere stuff in semester one, it went straight over my head trying to calculate where a star was going to yeah. be two hours or, you know, even 23 hours later. Was on my mind, I was like, where is this star moving? Like, yeah, it's like really hard to, like, you know, I don't know, visualize it in your mind because yeah. it's like they all just look the same at nighttime. Yeah, but if you whereas, sort of think about it, like when you go out to look at something, that same, like, you know, if you look at, I don't know, one of the... Scorpio. Like, yeah, if you go out and look at Scorpio, it's not going to be in the same spot every single time of the year. Mm, because, it's going to move around. Yeah, it's going to yeah. move around. And that's not because of, you know, they're actually moving away from us. Everything's rotating in relation to us. So it's all yeah. moving at the same speed. It's just because of the way our clocks work and the way we've calculated our cl clocks to be... 24 hours instead of 23 hours and 56 minutes so yeah. we're about four minutes behind so if you go out at that time and with the sun and everything you know obviously in winter the days are shorter so you know um, in summer when the days are longer and the sun's out for longer we're not going to mm. see those stars and then it's going to be you know behind yeah no definitely obviously in the seasons you see different yeah. parts of the sky than you would in the other seasons so if you go out on the same day every year at the same time, you're most likely going to see the same star first. Yeah. Or it could just be Venus. Or it could just be <laughs> Venus. But either way, do not lose the connection that you guys have got to that star. Yeah. Because it's really nice. Yeah, yeah, so the question, there was a second part to the question. Um, and it said, in my family, we call it Reggie's star for our old dog that has passed away. So that's yeah, really nice. That's really nice. And even if yeah, it isn't it's the, the same, same star... star you know, the symbolism of it rising yeah. and seeing it in the sky first thing is, yeah, really nice. So, yeah. Mm. So we, another question we got was about the NASA DART mission. And if you haven't heard about it, basically NASA has gone, let's just fly a probe into an asteroid and see what happens. <laughs> they NASA's got the obviously got some money to spare. Yeah. And I guess it's because it, there's that question of, what happens if a deadly asteroid comes towards yeah, it? Yeah, definitely. And the only look, the risk of it isn't huge. The only risk you'd have is if Jupiter decides to swing something at us. And yeah, we did speak about that in another episode. How, you know, Jupiter does bully the other asteroids away from us. Yeah, it's so like our, our most, yeah, most of the time, Jupiter is like our protector, flies <laughs> it away. But you Good know, job, maybe Jupiter. maybe one day Jupiter will be like, you know what, screw you, Earth. Don't I like hate you. you. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I've been doing all this work for you and you've given me nothing. Yeah. And I'm just going to... You just flown little asteroid. things near me. Yeah. 
and it would probably be like, look, those things on you are just destroying your planet. <laughs> I'm going to absolutely destroy them. Destroy them. <laughs> Here's an asteroid. So anyway, well, so then NASA's going to be like, no, no Jupiter. This ain't happening. Cause we're going we, to start a war with Jupiter. Yeah. That's governing. <laughs> but yeah, so that's like no Jupiter. We are going to prepare ourselves and we're going to fly stuff at asteroids until we get it right. <laughs> Arming ourselves ready yeah. for Jupiter's assault. So what they're trying to do is they're hoping, because obviously for something to move out of its orbit or even just here on Earth, it needs to have a force pushing it. Mm-hmm. So for an asteroid, if it's on its way, it's orbit towards us. The only way you're going to change that is by putting a force on it. Now, there's a lot of different theories about how you can do this. Even one of them is radiation pressure and just pointing a beam at it. Mm. But you know, that's a whole other thing in itself. <laughs> um, Maybe we'll do an episode on that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so the asteroid that they are sending it towards is called Didymos. <laughs> I don't know if that's how you pronounce it or Didymos might be. I, I like Didymos. Didymos. Yeah. Okay. We've got to go with Didymos. <laughs> and it is 780 meters across mm. and it has got a secondary body or a moonlet that is 160 meters in size which is the typical size for an asteroid <laughs> and would be the most likely size asteroid that would be flung towards Earth and to cause a threat. Yeah, so I think it was, what was the asteroid a fair few years ago that came in and it was, I think, like 50? Mm. No, it was even less than that. It was not big at all. Yeah. Um, and it smashed all the windows and yeah. caused a massive bang and chaos, just chaos. Our... Human structures are not not designed to be able to withstand the force of an asteroid coming into Earth. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, so what they're going to do is they're going to send this uh, probe towards Didymos <laughs> and at its moonlet. And they're going to crash it in and hope that the kinetic energy from crashing it will change its orbit by 1%. That, that sounds really small, but, you know, looking at it from, you know, whether or not it's going to hit us or not, that's actually, you know, really, really significant. Yeah, and I think why they've actually... So, you've got your Didymos, and it's got this little, little moon, which is 160 metres in, um, in size. You change that orbit by 1%, and what they're going to see is how it changes that orbit around that little moon. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And it's going to be very interesting to see if they can completely whack it out of its orbit. Mm. Maybe towards Earth. Never know. <laughs> NASA could really screw this one up. <laughs> NASA could be the end of us all. Yeah. Uh, and it's really weird to think about that there's asteroids revolving around asteroids. <laughs> yeah. Like their own little like planetary yeah, systems. Yeah, their own little planetary systems. But just little, cruising just through. Just cruising through the... But yeah, so it's very interesting um, to see what happens because... Mm. You know, there's been a lot of different theories about how you would deflect and if 1% would be enough to deflect an asteroid. And these are the measurements they're going to need to figure that out. Yeah, that's really interesting to look at. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, thank you for coming to our fifth episode. I hope it doesn't sound like gibberish for you all. Oh, thank you all so much for giving us 200 followers on yeah. Instagram. How amazing is that? We've been... 
we've been up for one month and we have 200 of you supporting and following us so that is amazing yeah. thank you so, so much thank guys thank you all for your support it means so much to us because that means we can keep doing this and keep you know spreading our passion for science with you all mm. amazing and yeah so i hopefully the audio last week was a bit bad and please <laughs> let us know if you enjoyed the new discovery segment yeah because that's something we were thinking of adding in every week for you guys to have a listen to and if you have any ideas about other stuff we could add in that you'd be interested to know about that'd be amazing you will put a poll on instagram yeah um, and not every week is going to be about space science it's literally going to be about any science that we found interesting this week just happened to be space science because yeah we love it but i also did find an article about uh scientists using um ai systems to map how a spider makes a web and i thought that was so cool yeah like imagine being paid to map how a spider makes a web <laughs> <laughs> like they literally like used it to figure out how a spider moves its legs and does every little movement wow. to make the web yeah. yeah that's so cool yeah and i was like well yeah, there's lots of cool science out there so we hope that we are you know, inspiring you to mm-hmm. continue your journey of curiosity into the world and question why things happen and what would happen without them and, you know, ask all those hard questions even if there's not answers yet. You know, there could be an answer in two years, there could be one tomorrow. You never know. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's the end of episode five and we'll see you, we won't see you, but we'll talk to you next week.